Hello, and welcome to episode 43 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And today we're going to cover stories from Wisconsin. Yes, Wisconsin. I've got a true crime story that I have been really excited to share with Beth because she knows nothing about it, which means Bethy has the paranormal and the drink. And the alcohol. And she's actually has the drink underneath a blanket right now because she doesn't want me to see it. So well, this... I didn't want you to be disappointed, but I do have a beer for this week's episode. Okay. But I did keep my promise and it is not an IPA. Okay. It is actually a beer that you like. Drum roll, please. I'm unveiling the beer. I like that. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> you don't know what Kugel is? <laughs> no, I don't. You are not a beer drinker. No, I've never had it before. <laughs> okay. I brought Kugel. I don't think I've even ever heard of it, but... Mm, it's delicious. So I'm going to give you a little history lesson on Leinenkugel really fast because I found it very interesting. And it's a pretty common beer that you'll find in most all grocery stores. Really? And okay. liquor stores and stuff. So I wanted to share a little history because a lot of people don't know where this came from. So on their website, I read that Leinenkugel is, quote, a German-style beer crafted with the spirit of Wisconsin. Nice. Unquote. The brewery was founded in 1867. Wow. By Jacob Leinenkugel. He came from Germany where his father was an innkeeper and a brewer as well. Oh. So it's kind of a tradition his family to make beer. So he came to America to Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, and he thought it was the perfect location for him and his family to settle down and for him to make his brewery because it had all the the springs and just all this natural water and he thought it would just be perfect right so they settled down and lumberjacks were jacob's first like main customers Mm -hmm. and today the beer is still being made by leinenkugels the family Mm -hmm. it's still run by them oh my god it's the sixth generation so it's jacob's great great grandson runs it today awesome is that i know that's why i had to share it and A lot of the recipes are still the same since 1867. Wow. Isn't that cool? It is very cool. So it went down through hands of sons and son-in-laws. And there was even a time during the prohibition where they really wanted to keep their company alive. So they made some alcohol-free beer, which didn't go over very well. But Mm. they also started bottling soda water which was the largest factory making soda water at the time during Prohibition. So they still kept their doors open. Not saying they didn't struggle because actually some good strong women stepped in and Jacob's daughter and his daughter-in-law after their husbands had died, they put, they mortgaged their homes so they could get money to keep the doors open. Wow. Update the equipment and then his grandsons, Jacob's grandson stepped in and they, really worked through the prohibition and obviously they're still around and they're still going that is an excellent story i had to share it because like i said it's a pretty common beer you'll see on the shelf but now you know a little history of leinenkugel which is my father-in-law is one of his favorite beers so okay actually maybe now i'll notice it because i've never (laughs) even noticed it before (laughs) oh goodness well let's open these bottles shall we oh and it's a twister top cool 
All right, Mom. Cheers. Cheers. That's tasty. It's very light. It's not an IPA. Extremely light. It has a really good light flavor to it. It's really nice in the summertime, but I mean, I like beer all the time. I love Line and Kugel, and I'm really excited. I could very easily drink this. Yes. It's still beery. Well, it's beer. I All know. beers are going to be beery. You know, I, I thought you were going to do like a pumpkin beer or something because you're... I don't like flavored beers. Into all this pumpkin stuff lately, but... I know. Well, tis the season. To be pumpkin. So, enjoy your Leinenkugel. Playing on it. And I will tell you a story. Sad story. Because our true crime stories are so happy. So positive and uplifting. Uh, okay. I don't know about you, but when I think of Wisconsin, I'm thinking farms, dairy cattle, maybe. What do you think? Isn't Wisconsin known for cheese? Well, the dairy cattle. That's oh. where cheese comes from. Yeah. So I think of, well, now I think of Line and Google. <laughs> okay. Lumberjacks and uh, cheese. cheese. Beer and cheese. Beer and cheese. Okay. Did you know that some of the most notorious criminals actually come from Wisconsin? Really? That blew my mind. Sorry, Wisconsin, but I'm going to kind of tell Beth a little of the dark side of you. Have you heard of Peter Curtin or the Vampire of Dusseldorf? I don't know. I don't think so. Nine. <laughs> he supposedly killed between 30 to 40 people. Oh, geez. He was executed by Gating in Cologne, Germany, in 1931. Another German? Yeah, this is, this is Deutsch. Well, I wonder if there's a lot of Germans in Wisconsin. That's why I'm just... Wait, does this guy have any ties to Wisconsin? Wait, why are you telling us this Eventually, story? he okay. will. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he didn't ever... I will honestly... Okay, just get there. Sorry. No, he never stepped foot in Wisconsin. <laughs> why are you telling us this? He was okay. He was considered by many as the first serial killer, and so his head was actually kept with the brain so that scientists could study it. And it came to Wisconsin after the end of World War II. A group of American soldiers found the mummified head and took it back home with them as a spoil of war. So he never did step foot. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> So where is it now? Well, if you happen to visit Wisconsin Dells, I wouldn't miss the small theme park museum in town because there you will find the mummified head. Still? Uh-huh. It's like cut in half so you can oh. kind of see the brain. <laughs> oh. 200 miles north of Wisconsin Dells is Little Bohemian Lodge, the home and hideout of the Dillinger Gang. Oh. I've heard about them. In April of 1934, Dillinger, Babyface Nelson, and other Chicago gangsters had a shootout here with police and agents of the Bureau of Investigations. Later, we moved to the Plainfield Ghoul, or Ed Gaines. And I didn't know this about him, but it was actually his crimes that inspired Alfred Hitchcock's psycho. Ed Gein. As well as the, what I call a B, maybe a C movie, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Blech. I don't watch that stuff. <laughs> no. 30 years later, the world's introduced to Milwaukee Cannibal, or Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer. Between 1986 and 2007, at least seven women were killed by the Northside Strangler, Walter Ellis, 
Mm-hmm. Have you heard of him? Mm-hmm. Then we have the well-known murder of Teresa Holbach, thanks to Netflix document Making a Murder. Oh, and least I forget, this is also the state where in 2014, two 12-year-old girls tried to sacrifice their friends in the woods to the Slender Man. Okay, so I've known about all of these cases, but I didn't realize they were all in Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. We always think that it's all from the West Coast, but Wisconsin's got its share. Okay, now I'm going back to the fall of 1967. Small-time girl Linda Tomaszewski joins the new class of freshmen at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This is a pretty turbulent time, especially on all of college campuses around the United States because of student protests of the Vietnam War, Mm. as well as other government issues. Linda really wants nothing to do with all of this. She's a quiet Catholic girl who's used to staying away from all of the unrest and just wants to have fun, go to college and learn. Along the way, she meets a new best friend, Christine Rothschilds who was also quiet and friendly. The only difference between the two girls was that Christine came from a wealthy family, old money, as they say. But she was brought up to be very humble and not flaunt her wealth. In grade school and high school, Christine was always one of the smartest in her class. While in high school, she was also a model for teen fashion News Street in Chicago. And that was like from stores all along the the Magnificent Mile. Magnificent Mile. Yeah. So stores stores from Magnificent Mile would hire her to be model. Cool. But at the university, no one would have guessed that um, because she was so very modest. Mm -hmm. She only wore flat shoes. You know, the time high heels or higher heels was in fashion. Mm -mm. She wore flat shoes, no makeup, no jewelry, except for one ring. And that one was the one that her mother had given to her for graduation. Oh. So Linda lived in Whittlehead Dorm. Okay. So she was from the small town, didn't have much money. So she lived in the dorm. Christine lived in a private and exclusive Anne Emery Hall. Mm. In fact, she even had a... sounds prettier. She even had a, a, uh, you know, very rustic with the old dark wood and carvings and dinner you know served in the evenings and she had her own dang what kind of college experience is that she had her own private room unfortunately it was on the first floor but she still had her own private room okay now keep in mind this is 1967 so not exactly a time of security cameras or intercoms Mm -mm. this is important In fact, it seemed like there was no real security to speak of. Christine was not into a lot of social events. Instead, she would spend her time at the campus library. And in the library, it was a beautiful, as I I think a lot of old campus libraries are just beautiful. But anyway, this one is exceptional. And inside that library, Christine found a small, quaint little room, and she really liked it. And she would often sit in there to study or just to read. Mm -hmm. And hardly anybody ever went in there, so she was usually by herself. It was just a very small, comfortable room. Unfortunately, this little room was surrounded by windows, Hmm. making it a fishbowl for anyone looking in. How did she get any focusing done in there? I get distracted by it. 
Like, <laughs> squirrel. I squirrel. I had to sit when I when when I was in college. I had to sit in like those cubbies that they had in the library. Little, I, I know so what you, you're talking about because we went to the same college. Basically, like a box that you'd it sit in. It was a box. It was like a jail cell, and it had one little window in the door. But otherwise, there was nothing in it. But every <laughs> once in a while, you'd get lucky and you'd get the jail cell room that had a window. But I just I couldn't. Even if that was open, I couldn't do it. I'd be watching everybody outside. I never knew that about you. I studied in those a lot, too. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the tables everyone is sitting at. Yeah, not for I me. can't. <laughs> I have to be totally closed off to the outside world. I will not focus. Oh, oh well, there you go. Now you know who you have Now I know where I got that from. <laughs> Oh, somewhere in the spring of 68, Christine left her comfy room in the library and went out for a smoke. A lot of people smoked during this time. Yes. Especially in college. I have to admit, I did too. A man, quite a bit older than most of the students on campus, walked up to her and asked her for a light. Now, Christine was brought up in Chicago. She learned early on to listen to those warning sirens in a woman's head mm-hmm. that a lot of women were sometimes brought up to be nice to strangers. And go with your gut, ladies. Always go with your gut. Yeah. Forget the being nice BS. No. Go with your instinct. Anyway, Christine did. She just felt like mm, there's just something not right about him. And then she was very intuitive. She saw that his cigarette was really kind of old and battered. Mm. Almost like a prop. Yeah. So Christine stubbed her own just lit cigarette out and told the stranger to get lost, turned around and went back to her studying. Unfortunately, he did everything but get lost. She started seeing him everywhere, sometimes holding a newspaper up to cover his face, oh. sometimes pulling a hat down to cover him. It was always him. She knew it was. She told her friend Linda about the man, but... Being 18, they didn't really think too much about it. I mean, Christine was creeped out, but, you know, maybe he was just an admirer and followed her around. I I mean, the last thing you think about when you're 18 is like somebody But she had to have taken it somewhat serious that she told Linda about it. Well, yeah, she's like, this creepy older guy is like, I see him everywhere. Yeah. You know, he's in the library and he's outside the library and he's, and, you know, I see him everywhere. It's just creepy, you know, something like that. Oh, then that changed. Christine noticed someone had been in her room. Oh, no. Nothing was taken, but things were moved, and she noticed it. She noticed footprints outside her bedroom window. Remember, <gasps> she was on the lower. Did she tell anybody about that? Uh, She would mention it to the housekeeper or something, but again, maybe it was the gardener. You know, maybe it was, mm. there was always a reason. Maybe it was. Was there a peeper or a prowler? A peeper? Or <laughs> sorry, was this? I don't know if I've ever heard him called a peeper before. A peeping tom. Yeah, peeping tom. Sorry, tom. called a peeper. A peeper. Um, <laughs> or was this the same man that's been following her around? Oof. Then she started getting phone calls. Oh no! First, just heavy breathing. Oh god! Then, after a few weeks of these, there was a voice on the other end, a demonic voice telling her what she was wearing, <gasps> where she had just been, and what time she had just come home. Creepier than that, the voice would describe to her how she looked when she was sleeping. What? So I would get out of my room. I would. The man rooms. had been in her room. Yeah. Watching her sleep. Oh, I just got chicken bumps. Yeah. 
the man was infatuated with her. Police classify this as stranger sexual predator stalking. Stranger danger. The man knows exactly what he is doing and what the outcome will be. Oh, I don't like this. This classification is most notably related to serial rapists and murderers. Of course, poor Christine didn't know any of this at the time. The only thing she knew was she was getting more and more scared. She told Linda, who of course told her to tell the campus police. Yeah. So now it's finals. And Linda realizes that she has enjoyed college life a little too much. (laughs) Been there, done that. Oh, my gosh, I've got five papers to write and finals. <laughs> sneaks up on you. They tell you about it every day, but they sneak up on you. And I've got finals to study for, and I can't do that. I need to go home. And home was like an hour and a half, two hours away. I need to go home for the weekend and get all this. Knock all this out. Get yeah. it all done. So the last time she saw Christine was two days before she left. And she saw her from a distance speaking to two campus police, who, by the way, told Christine she was probably seeing things. What? She should buy herself a rape whistle. Because that's going to solve it all. And she'll feel more protected, I guess. Before Linda left town, she stopped by Christine's room to let her know she had to change some plans. They were going to go to a swim meet or something together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Christine wasn't home, so Linda sticks a note on the door saying she had gone home to study. And if Christine wants to call her, here's the number to get a hold of her. Okay. So back in Milwaukee, Linda's getting her work done, actually. (laughs) Still working on a paper at about 2.17 a.m. The phone rings. She answers it quickly, not wanting to wake anybody else up. The person on the other end says that he's Officer Hendrickson of the University of Wisconsin PD. And does she know a Christine Rothschild? Linda answers yes. All right. When did you last see her? After she answers, the cop just hangs up. What? Boom. That's it? So it turns out they got her... Christine had very few friends. Okay. She didn't really socialize. Okay. So there was really nobody to talk to. Okay. But when they went to her room, they saw the The sticky note that she had stuck on the door with her name and her number. And that's how they got the information to call her. Okay, but why did they call her? So what happened to Christine? So the following are excerpts from the book, Mad City, the True Story of the Campus Murders America Forgot by Michael Artfield, uh, text copy 2017 and published by Little A, October 1st, 2017. And I have to quote all that because a lot of the information I'm going to tell you is from the book. Okay. There is very little, most of the information is from the book and I'll tell you why. So you don't remember this. But people from my generation will remember it and generations older. On Sundays, the thing to do was to go to church and on the way home, take a little drive around, take a little Sunday Sunday drive drive. or after lunch, take a little Sunday drive, which was actually kind of fun, puts the whole family together and you're discovering little places around where you live Mm -hmm. and you're wasting a lot of gas. So... (laughs) Anyway, there was a family that was doing that on that Sunday, all piled into their station wagon. Now, you know what a station wagon is. Yes, we do. Thanks to Henry Lucas's story. So the family decided to drive through the campus. 
and in doing so pass the physics building their little son who is in the back seat and i'm picturing that it was probably the back seat that faces backwards backwards yes maybe not but that's what i'm picturing says hey there's a mannequin in the grass oh no parents pass this off as a child's imagination or the antics of college kids you know Mm. they're driving through the college campus so now it's four hours later from that little drive. And senior Phil Van Valkenburg pops behind a hedgerow in front of the building. This is always used as a shortcut to the lower lab where he worked. Okay. This time it had been raining, so the ground was slippery. He lost his footing. He landed on the ground and inches away from him was a body, not a mannequin, of Christine Roth's child. Oh, jeez. The body had been posed. Beneath her head was an expensive man's cotton handkerchief. No one knew why. No one knows why. Both sides of Christine's jaw had been shattered and her face a bloody mess. After she was already dead, she was strangled with the lining of her trench coat and both of her gloves were shoved down her throat. She probably didn't feel anything after she was first knocked out, which was a blessing. That's a good thing. It was later confirmed that she had been stabbed 14 times with some comparatively obscure type of finely sharpened weapon. Um, maybe a surgical scalpel? Oh. Cops were called, and as fate would have it, it was the two cops, the campus cops that Christine had talked mm. to. Okay, so these cops were probably never trained in preserving a crime scene. Not only did they trample all over the crime scene, mm. remember, it had been raining also, so they had that to contend yeah. with, but they did nothing to discourage the ever-increasing group of students that was encroaching on the scene. Oh, no. We Medics. don't have another stealing bones situation, do we? No, no, everything was intact, so. <laughs> Medics soon arrived, but they, too, had no regard for the crime scene or preserving evidence. They actually grabbed her body by the hands and feet. What? And basically tossed her into the ambulance. She wasn't even carried on a gurney or anything. It just Oh my God, my heart just breaks for that. So now you have all kinds of trace lost. You've got trace mixed into each other. So who got away with this horrible, horrible crime? And I say yes, got away with. Because 50 years later, Christine's case is still open. Oh, my gosh. Oh, there were men of interest, but Christine's friend Linda believes Christine knew her attacker and had, in fact, reported him as her stalker days before her death. Linda stated that Christine even admitted to her that she thought her stalker was a man named Niels Jurgensen. In the book Mad City, the true story of the campus murders that America forgot, the author surmises that Jurgensen had killed before. In fact, he went so far as to say Jurgensen might have killed his own brother and his mother and had killed a girl in about the same way on a campus he was on before. But these were all surmises of the author. Okay, so is this like another John Cameron situation or is or is there real evidence to support his theories? Uh, some of this is, uh, I'm going Cameron, but... If you um, guys don't remember John Cameron, that's from episode 35 in Ed Edwards. About Ed Edwards, exactly. Took us down several rabbit holes, so I was just curious if there was some so, evidence here. Uh, he definitely would 
took me down i mean this book took me down rabbit holes but it was actually the first book i read about an open case and mm-hmm. actually was the book that got me interested in these open cases got you hooked got me hooked so linda christine's friend never stopped looking for christine's murder in fact she became somewhat of a detective she knew jurgensen used quote smoke breaks as a way to meet people, even though he didn't even smoke. Hmm. Thus, yep. the little prop thing. Yep. She also knew that he was a medical resident at the hospital across the street from the campus. So off to the hospital smoke pit she went. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, she found out a lot about Jurgensen. By the way, none of these people had ever been interviewed by police. You're kidding. Nope. Jurgensen was described as menacing and unsettling, especially to the female employees. Some called him maladjusted, disordered, and even a sociopath. She did come across a custodian who stated that Jurgensen had tried to befriend him. One evening, Jurgensen pulled the custodian aside and said, Hey, well, first let me add this. Jurgensen always wanted to go downstairs to the basement And that's where the morgue was. And so whenever the custodian was working cleaning down there, he'd always run into Jurgensen. He would just always pop up. Yeah. So what do you think his fascination with the morgue was? He pulled out these pictures to show the custodian, thinking that now he had made friends with this dude. They were grotesque Polaroids of a murdered family. Then Jurgensen said that he had done the killing when he was working in South Africa. I guess that after he graduated as a general practitioner, a Christian mission group had asked him to join them in a remote in remote places in South Africa as a mission worker. Okay. There Jurgensen killed but was never accused or even suspected. So because there was Supposedly, so Supposedly or is this just his story this is his story but he had pictures of it oh my God. he took pictures of his killings jurgensen changed his story several times and each time the custodian just blew him off like this dude is just not gonna be my friend i, I don't know why he likes don't me want to be your friend just anymore stay away from me then Linda found out that jurgensen lived in the medical residential housing and had a roommate name George. Oh, do we claim this, George? Yes, we do. Okay. Dr. George Johnson, who is 20 years younger. He was a regular aged medical <laughs> resident. <laughs> Jorgensen told George he had completed his medical degree in California, but never said where or when. Oh. His first two years of residency were also vague. Remember, this? these were his last years of residency right. that he was here. Then there were war stories from the Battle of the Bulge, where he was first a great Nazi killer, and then all of a sudden he was a medical humanitarian and a mission doctor. He claimed his kid brother had been killed at the Battle of Midway, and his wife had died during Luftwaffe Blitzkrieg. So during the war, his wife had been killed, building fell on her. Then he had nothing left, and that's how he ended up at WU. What a storyteller. He also mentioned to George they liked to go to the campus library to watch the pretty young blonde girls. Well, one night, George woke up to a gun pointing at him. 
no reason, except that Jorgensen seemed to be becoming more and more unhinged. And actually, a story did... Sounds very unhinged. I didn't know if I wanted to add this, but I'm going to. Uh, Before the gun thing, George and his girlfriend were sleeping, and she had come over to spend the night, and they were probably doing a little more than sleeping. And all of a sudden, George woke up in the middle of the night or something, and Jorgensen was in the room with them, and he was trying to feel up. His girlfriend? Yes. And, of course, George jumped out of bed and started just going, you know, yeah. crazy on him. And it was af- directly after that that Jorgensen pulled the gun on him. The next, like, the next night he woke this up with the gun crazy, pointed at though. him. So George is very leery of this guy. And he's watching him. I mean, he's sleeping with one eye open at this point because he still has to share this apartment with this guy. Yeah. And he's also very vigilant about George's patience. So he's looking through the charts, making sure everything's right. Isn't isn't there somebody that they can go to to report this? Though, well, that's the just... thing. He didn't want to become involved. Okay. And, I you know, it, it might go on his... He's a resident, too. He didn't want this big stink going on. Hmm. So, I mean, here's this guy who had been in the military. He was 20 years older than him. Who's he going to believe? I mean, you know, he, he. so no, he didn't report anything. On the morning of Sunday, May 26th, the morning of Christine's murder, George saw Jurgensen slip out of the apartment. Jurgensen did show up for his shift that day, full of energy and vigor. And here's a quote from a nurse that the nurse supposedly told Linda. Jorgensen walked in. It was a very dreary, like I said, it was a dreary rainy day. It Mm -hmm. was raining the whole day. And he walked in and he looked out and he goes, isn't this a lovely day for a murder? Now, whether he said that or not, I don't know. But that was a quote that was in the book. I thought you said this case was unsolved. This seems pretty solvable to me. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's still open. Opening another line in Google. Then the exact date and time are not clear, but George came home from his shift. They they had different night sure. and day shifts, yeah. so they hardly saw each other. But he came home from his shift to find his roommate had left, and obviously in a hurry. Of course, with the strange talk about Jurgensen and his sudden departure, he was obviously a suspect. But unfortunately, when police interviewed George... The only thing he said about Jurgensen was that he stayed to himself and he was a little strange. Oh, come on, He didn't mention that he was a stalker. He didn't mention that he was a sleep watcher. He didn't mention the gun. He didn't mention any of that. Even though he thought that Jurgensen had killed Christine. Why didn't he say anything? But he just wanted to stay out of it. But still. I know. He just did not want to get involved. Just not at all. Just do the right thing, though. Meanwhile, Linda is still convinced that Jurgensen was the killer. And still is. Jurgensen has since died. But good luck finding anything about him. Yeah, seriously. Mom sent me on a mission. Four eyes are better than two. And we just could not. Nothing. There is nothing on this man at all. Everything I learned from the man was from the book Mad City. Interesting. The other men who police looked at were Lucas. And really Lucas? And Lucas. We already just, we just mentioned him at the beginning of this with the uh, station wagon. With the station wagon. What is it with Lucas popping up with station wagon? I don't know. But Lucas and Otis, Mm -hmm. because they killed together. And Ed Edwards. 
Of course. Oh, and I think the Zodiac was mentioned also. Mm-hmm. And Michael... If it was a Zodiac, Zodiac would have left something that would... Okay, go on. Sorry. Yeah, you're you're right. He would have. but And he always killed Lover's Lane, didn't he? Or yeah, did he majority. Him? And he... But he would always leave something behind so that people knew it was him. Right. Very narcissistic killer. But narcissistic? Narcissist? Mm. <laughs> so Michael, the author of the book, also thinks that a serial killer was killing during 1968 to 84, uh, all connected to universities. So there was a, a serial killer by the name, they named him Mad City Murders or also Capital City Killings. Okay. And it was a serial killing that was going on at the time. And maybe because of these, looking into Christine's murders just kind of got mixed up in all that. Yeah, I mean, this is the 60s. So again, serial killer was not even a thing until the late 70s. They were lust killers or there was no there was no such thing as a serial killer. And remember, this was the time of Vietnam protests. Mm-hmm. And that is really important to remember because there, there was, was such violence. unrest on mm-hmm. the campuses and violence. And it really kind of helped hide in plain sight killers who could victimize students and maybe also hid the killer of Christina Rothschild. It's so sad, though. It is sad. There's much more in the book. Of course. And it's very, very interesting. So that's all I have on this horrible. Sounds like that's all anybody has on this horrible case. Yeah. Poor girl. So like I said, there were several other um, mostly women killed after Christine's murder. Was it the same guy? Were there any similarities? I mean, there's really nothing. The only one thing that I read, and it was only with one other victim, I believe, was the men's handkerchief Mm -hmm. that was placed under Christine's head. Mm -hmm. And it was a very expensive handkerchief. What just makes you wonder? It was almost a signature. Right. If it was a signature or if that's like he wanted to make her look posed, you know. Well, he did pose her. But I know, but like like he adored her. He wanted her to like her hair or her head not to be on the mud or something. No, I know what you're trying to say. But on the other hand, it was overkill yeah. and it is a very angry kill. Yeah, 14 times is a I lot I mean, of first stabbing. of all, he beats her to death hmm. and then strangles her after she's dead, strangles her with the inside of her coat. Oh, also didn't mention that there were no drag marks. So it was done right there. So. Or he picked her up and carried her and dropped her there. There were some, there were different summations on that one. One was that she was summoned over there somehow. Um, she had her coat on, so she was she was going outside to ch- for a reason. She was going to church. Oh, gosh. She was headed to church. She never made it to church. Oh, um, he had a gun. So did he pull her behind that that hedge with the gun? Um, Another summation was, uh, did he take her boots off to take her stockings off to Mm. keep them? She was not sexually assaulted at all. Which is weird. And then her boots were put back on after she was dead. But her stockings, she was not wearing stockings, which was... I mean, weird because you would really assume that this was a a sexual crime. That isn't how he he got off. Yeah. That's just so crazy. It just sounds like, I mean, to me, it was like, sounds like so much rage, Mm -hmm. so much anger. But remember, he was rebuffed by her. Yeah. Told to get lost. If it was the same guy. 
if it was the same guy and it sure like fits into I'd like to think so slots yeah. you know and then all of a sudden he just takes I think it was a week later he's gone boom left left stuff just packed the essentials and is gone of course and he's gone boom gone <laughs> I really don't see why this is an unsolved case I think that seems pretty clear I just couldn't put anything on him what was his last name Jurgensen 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 and Lining Google man we got some names today. <laughs> telling me <laughs> all right lighten us up uh well we'll see what i can do here with the paranormal how are you doing on that beer mom you need another one no i'm half but it's really good good i'm happy you know you're enjoying it <laughs> this is a great beer like sometimes you're just really thirsty yes and you want something besides water all the time but you don't want soda sugary soda yep. um growing up in germany during those times, my grandmother always had a beer like this mm-hmm. in the fridge. And, and we would just always have a little schluck, a little glass mm-hmm. of beer, uh, even when we were little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> makes a lot of sense now. Okay. <laughs> That's just, uh, it's just different in Europe. Mm-hmm. But um, oh, they make they make a special beer for kids even. Are you serious? It doesn't have much alcohol, if any alcohol. It has, um, I can't even describe the taste. Listeners, if you know what I'm talking about, I don't remember the name or the taste of it, but it kind of tastes kind of chocolatey, maybe. Really? But it's a beer made for kids, yeah. Here's a beer, kiddo. And it might even have had some alcohol. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'll get your kid to sleep. Workers, you know, during lunchtime. With their lunch, be sitting on the side of the road drinking a beer, drinking and, a having, beer. Yeah. and having lunch. That's why it's so weird to I mean, me. Those were the days when I moved to the United States um, after spending so much time in Germany. I was 16 when we moved to the states, and we went to <laughs> my parents enrolled me in a Catholic school. <laughs> I don't know why we weren't Catholic at the time, but they're like keeping you out of problems. <laughs> enrolled me in Catholic school, but I could not figure out why these kids wanted to, first of all, cruise because we didn't cruise in Germany. Like drive around? Drive around. You guys, you don't do that anymore. I don't think anymore either. Do you? Oh, as soon as I got my license, I'd love to just drive around. No, but we don't you cruise just... like they did in all right, all right, all right movie. That's exactly what I'm talking <laughs> about. You start in one section of the town and you drive down the main street, turn around at the Dairy Queen or the Sonic oh, usually, man. and then drive right back down to the parking lot, JC Panties, and turn around and drive. That's what you do all, all right, night. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> With a car full of people. They have you pass friends. Then you're like, hey, let's meet at so-and-so. And then the cars would all pull into there and you'd all talk and stuff. But the kids were always like, you know, have a six-pack with them and be drinking the six-pack. And I'm like, are you guys that thirsty? Because <laughs> to me, beer was just... If you're thirsty, you have a beer. I didn't understand the concept of getting drunk on beer. made no sense to me. But (laughs) anyway, okay, that's a little bit. That's a little story about me and beer. (laughs) Maybe that's why you still just don't like it. I don't know. It's a taste. I don't know. Okay, well, I'm going to be covering another road. (laughs) Surprise, surprise, surprise. We do no roads, and then the last three hauntings, we do roads. <laughs> oh, let's think of something new and unusual. Here's a road. But quote, I read in many sources, 
Yes. That this was, quote, the most haunted one of road. the top haunted roads <laughs> in the world. <laughs> this was actually a listener's request. Thank you, Taylor, from Wisconsin. Now, Miss Taylor, your request was tricky because everywhere I read about this told a different story. Oh. But they're all very, very creepy. So I'm going to share all of them with you all. <laughs> okay. Did Miss Taylor have any incidents herself? Or? No, she just said she's grown up in the area and she'd always heard about this road, but she was always too scared to go down it, to go down even near it. Ooh. Okay. So this haunted road is very isolated. It's a very small road and it leads to a dead end. It's in Stevens Point, Wisconsin in Portage County. From Google Maps, it looks like it's a dirt road even, and it's surrounded by a ton of legend. It is also surrounded by privately owned land and homes. So guys, promise you won't go snooping, okay? And if you do, send photos. (laughs) So is it like um, the Jack Cole Road? I mean, is it covered by forests? Yes, it is very, very dense forest. This road is called Boy Scout Lane. The legends are all about a Boy Scout troop or a couple Boy Scouts, depending on which story you go with. But one or many Boy Scouts haunt this road. In honor of these lost Scouts or Scout, the lane is named Boy Scout Lane. People that have bravely gone down this road at night have claimed to see lights in the trees, not from the houses right off the road, (laughs) but like lanterns. Like someone looking for their lost scout or the dead troop. So one story goes that the lane was used as a camp back in the 50s. It was the first night of camp. The boys arrived by bus, did their boy scout things. (laughs) It wasn't even a girl scout, so I have no idea what that means. But I guess they set up camp and settled in. And that night, as they settled in their tents, something horrible happened. Upon their sons not arriving home when they should have, Their families go out to find a total massacre had taken place. Someone had gone one by one, tent by tent, and killed the Boy Scout troop. Oh my gosh. Two boys and the bus driver were missing from the camp. Upon searching the area, the two boys were finally found. It was believed that the the boys had escaped and got lost in the woods, wandering and dying of starvation. Oh, they were dead? The bus driver, becoming the main suspect in the horrendous crime, had never been seen from or heard from again. Oh. Another story goes that, again, it is the first night of camp, the scouts arrive and do their boy scout things, and two scouts decide to duck out, and while out in the woods, they drop their lantern. The fire catches fast, and the whole camp, each and every boy scout, burn in the flames. Some stories say that the Boy Scout troop all died in a terrible bus crash that occurred on the road. And other variations of the story say that some Boy Scouts were camping out there and just vanished and have never been found. Regardless of the facts. (laughs) (laughs) Because there really are none, apparently. (laughs) The road is a popular local legend that says that the lane is haunted. A swinging light is seen off the road. Is this a lantern from one of the boys that vanished? Is this the lantern that lit the fire and killed all the Boy Scouts? Moving lights are the majority of what is reported, actually. Some go exploring, and while out there late at night, they have this overwhelming feeling of being watched. Almost like they're being surrounded. Ooh. And 
I watched a couple YouTube videos because you know how I like the amateur videos right. the best. And a few of them were like, I feel like there's people or something watching me from all around. And I feel like they're closing in on me. Oh, it was really actually scary. Then they'll hear like breaking twigs and the sounds of footsteps getting closer and closer to them, surrounding them. Like from... Uh, like twigs breaking from all around them, yes. not just like an animal walking through the bushes. Right. Oh. A few occurrences of a school bus have been seen on the road. It will stop, open its doors, then vanish. Or in other variations of the story, the bus will just keep driving right on through the, the dead end portion of the road. Just go. Oh. And there's like these kids going out there and on a dare in one of the videos I watched and... You do. You see these like headlights coming at them and yeah. they're like getting really scared because yeah. the lights are really big. And they're like, oh, my gosh, if these lights just vanished right now. I'd be terrified. And it was just another car. But <laughs> <laughs> that you're that reaction of just like, oh, my gosh, what is that? What is it's it coming at us on a dead end road? Like it was, it was pretty scary. Some of the creepier paranormal stories I saw were people reporting to find children's handprints being found on their cars after driving down the road. Okay, that's creepy. And some investigators have even heard whispers and children laughing in the woods that surround the isolated lane. There's a YouTube video I watched of some teenagers that drove out there. Like I said, I warn there is cussing in the video. If you follow the links I post, there's a lot of cussing. Okay. But they stay in the car the whole quote unquote <laughs> investigation. <laughs> They talk big, but <laughs> they do. They just talk big the whole time. And they're just, you know, teenage boys. They do capture this swinging light in the middle really? of the woods. They do. Yes. It's like this swaying light. And they just, they don't get it. They don't understand. And they showed the difference in their video when they edited it of what a firefly would have looked like mm -hmm. compared to what this was. Because it was just back and forth way off in the woods. Wow. It was pretty cool. They do also capture what looks like the outline of a short person in the woods too. Maybe a Boy Scout. Another YouTube video, America's Most Haunted Highways, claimed the road could have possibly been named Boy Scout Lane because the land next to it was once owned by the Boy Scouts of America who planned to build a scout camp. Yeah, right. But it was never constructed, possibly because of the horrible deaths that occurred there. But it also said... Phantom hiking scouts are heard regularly throughout the woods, and the overwhelming feeling of being watched is high amongst explorers of the road. That's what I read the most, was that a lot of people had this terrible, overwhelming feeling of being watched. Maybe from the dead scouts or scout, or maybe from the people living in the houses off the roads. <laughs> but regardless, they feel watched. Maybe proof y'all shouldn't go because you'll get caught. But it's all pretty spooky, huh? <laughs> Here I am being a total Bettina here, but there is no record and no report of any bus crash, no massacre, and absolutely no records of any death. I was going to ask actually you, occurring did on you this research this? Because <laughs> <laughs> if something that horrible happened, that has got to be in record somewhere. Like I somewhere. said, this is all a legend. We've said it before, though. Legend starts somewhere, though. <laughs> so that's the paranormal this week. Sorry I let you guys down, but it is just a legend. Oh, you were scared for a moment, right? I was petrified. <laughs> so, um, but the residents on the road, I mean, they live there. Mm -hmm. They say anything? I didn't have the chance to interview everybody on the road, but... Um, Did you at least interview one person? 
Now, Taylor, the person I got this request from, right. she said that that's kind of like what she and her high school friends would do, is that they would go out to this road like on a dare. Now, she never did. She was always really scared. And the reason was is because something always did usually happen. Now, the handprint thing uh-huh. happened. To them? She said that a group of football players went out there on like a dare. They were oh. freshmen, and the senior sent them out on this road. <laughs> and there were apparently handprints well that would be i mean that would be creepy that would be really scary who's to say the seniors didn't set those there before they left but i don't know how you do that after driving down a dirt road but super scary i mean it was scary enough that she requested it no i'm sure that that something is out there something has to be just that feeling of being watched doesn't just come out of nowhere there's yeah. so many folklores about so many places. Plus the security cameras from the housing people. The yeah, I mean, there are people live living there. on that road. You feel like you're being watched. It's probably, probably because security cameras watching you. They're just sitting on their front porch like, oh, here's another group of teenagers <laughs> there, Bob. Let's go out there and watch them. Come on, Margo. Let's put handprints on the cars. <laughs> oh, go ahead and call Phil down the road. We're going to surround this couple tonight. <laughs> Let's have some fun. Sorry, people from Wisconsin. I bet you do not talk like that at all. That was really rude of us. We might get some hate mail for that one, Mom. Sorry, sorry. All righty. Well, all right. So that's it for uh, episode 43. Next week, we will be covering Oklahoma. Oklahoma. We have been getting some emails. I haven't read any of them. I just give them all to my husband. But we've been getting a few awesome emails hey to make it easier though he does ask that you put in the subject line listener story so that i know not to read it and just to give it right over to him but send us your stories and he is going to pick and we are going to read them our first listener story will be on december 7th 7th yep and we'll each read a few of them and you will be getting our instant reactions to your guys's spooky stories yeah that's right because we haven't heard them yes alex is the only one we're excited to share those and you can email us those stories to killer hangover podcast at gmail.com and you can find us on social media with pictures from this episode and all the others just a reminder to all you patrons out there send me your addresses if you haven't but guys become a patron it's five dollars a month you're going to get a little gift in the mail for us for a thank you. And you get extra episodes. Cha. Cha. And early releases. Yes. And all episodes get released to you on Saturday instead of Monday. There you go. Why not? All right, Mom. This is another good one. I think. I hope I pray. <laughs> Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid. <laughs>